Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Laura Davis, my favourite, your favourite. She is a delight to talk to every time. This week we spoke about, among other things, hypnotherapy, addiction, anxiety, and if you are sensitive to discussions of suicidality, um, uh, being suicidal, that stuff, please, this might not be the episode for you. We don't go into it in great detail or, or, or graphic depth, but... Uh, if you are extremely sensitive to that kind of thing and it could ruin your day to hear a discussion that uh, covers it, this might not be for you. That said, uh, thank you for listening. If you are a new listener from the Neil Gaiman episode, welcome. And uh, thank you to all the people who have sent me emails, alicerfraser at gmail.com or tweets at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Uh, or you can also reach me on the Patreon, patreon.com slash alicefraser if this show is worth something to you. Uh, it is. I appreciate it very much and it helps me do what I do. So that's... Um, I can't say enough about how meaningful that is and I don't want to bore you but it is uh, it's a big deal to me. Uh, one one two more plugs. Two more plugs before I get let you get on with listening to the episode. First of all, if you are in London, Ethos, I'm filming it on the 17th of February which is my double act with a robot show, 17th of February at the Museum of Comedy at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. and that is a uh, because I have made this mistake before of only filming it once. If you've seen The Resistance, on, which is up on Amazon Prime, or you can get by, from a download from my website shop, uh, that was filmed on the evening of flying in to Australia from London. I was jet-lagged out of my mind, and it was a one-take deal. And then I made that mistake again with the trilogy, mainly for the reason that I didn't know. I'd never done this before. It was a three-hour show. I didn't think anybody would want to come, so I didn't want to chance my arm at asking for two audiences to come uh, to that show. And so I did that one three-hour show for the first time, and the only time uh, being recorded, and I'm I'm glad it worked out. But I've decided that two times making the same mistake is one too many time making the same mistake. So I'm recording it twice: 5 p.m., 7 p.m. on the 17th of February in London at the Museum of Comedy. Tickets are available online. Also, uh, festivals: Sydney Comedy Festival, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and Perth Comedy Festival. I will be there, and then I'll be back for Edinburgh, etc. Thank you to Ben Wren, who's been helping me with the sound quality of this podcast. If you noticed an improvement recently, that is because of his good work. And I think that is all that I have to say, other than, again, thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. All right. So, who are you, and what are you drinking? Hello. My name is Laura Davis, and I am drinking... Uh, I asked Alice for a surprise tea and I was brought a mix of uh, red tea and black tea. It tastes like it has some vanilla in it. It's very nice. It's in a clear double-walled glass uh, cup, which I I appreciate because I can see that there are no bugs inside it. Yes. From the outside of the cup, normally I have to get a bird's eye view. The downside of the double-walled glass cup is uh, you can't feel from the outside how hot the drink is. So you can... In the early phases of the tea, accidentally burn your tongue. No, my strategy has been to approach my sip extremely slowly, <laughs> and then if it if it burns once I get just to the air around the tea, then then you back off. Then I back off. Give it some time. Give it a little blow. Go back in. Second try. And I'm going with a blue Thai tea, uh, which um, is called I think Blue Opium and oh no Opium Hill. Gift from Zaltzman and delicious. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'm very happy with that. I pride myself on my ability to drink hot tea for no good reason. No, like not a burning hot tea. It's not a good thing to pride yourself yeah, on. Oh, no, it gives you like uh, mouth cancer. Yeah, yeah. That's a terrible thing to be proud of. <laughs> like, If you're going to write a list of your <laughs> skill set, I reckon that is not... <laughs> That's not the one to um, no, be proud of. Also, there's very few situations where that is any sort of virtue in the first place. There's no well, like. Well, I don't put it in my mouth scalding hot. I just have the technique of getting it in in, you know, sufficiently air cooled stream. <laughs> yes, but, but nobody's requiring that of you. <laughs> no, I always feel. I think I have a wrong sense in my head of how quickly things go cold. Mm-hmm. I 
think there was something metaphorically. No, no, no. In terms of like literally, literally, okay. I feel like if food is hot, I think maybe it might have been one of those family threat things of you got to get to the table and eat the food before it goes cold. Oh, you know, something yeah, like okay. that just sunk into my hind brain. So I feel like if something's hot. You need to eat it immediately, otherwise it will suddenly go cold. I think uh, there's something subliminal okay. in my head that that there's something there. See, I'm from Perth, Western Australia, where <laughs> the food is hot forever. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have the food on the table; it is never going cold. I remember when uh, Wait there till was June. is a heat wave in Australia at the moment, oh. and it reminded me my of my granny uh, when there was a heat wave when I was young. Um, putting out eggs on a frying pan. Yep. My granny loved that kind of stuff, just fun little things, uh, gadgets and stuff. And uh, so she put out these two eggs on a frying pan on the oh, outside s- her house. On yeah, the, sun egg. Yeah, on the rock to see if it would cook. Yeah. And we were fascinated by this. And I remember it very distinctly because when Dad came to pick us up, we were sunburned. And when we told him what we'd yeah. done, he was furious with Granny. Yeah, if it's cooking the fucking if it's egg, co- basically, he said, "If it's cooking the yeah. egg, what do you think it's doing to my to my child?" Because we had this whole. Thing. He really didn't like us getting sunburned um, because he thought, you know, your skin is precious, and you know, I think correct. When you have a child, you want it to be not being uh, <laughs> radiated, <laughs> radiated. Um, mm. uh, but it was the first time I f- I realized you could get your parents in trouble. Like I just n- had never. Yeah. occurred to me that okay. that dynamic was possible in any world that somebody <laughs> would be would be telling their parents off because that just wasn't the direction that yes. authority or rage ever flowed um so that that stuck in my head yes <laughs> it's yeah. weird it's weird stuff that influences you when you're a kid yeah i just remember uh, last summer in Melbourne is probably some of the worst heat wave um, that I've lived through. And I had to get a big bucket of water by the bed because no houses in Australia have heating or cooling and sleep on an air mattress cause it, only because it was waterproof and just <laughs> lay like, like basically like you were keeping a whale alive. <laughs> Was how you had to sleep. <laughs> like, yeah. It, to have a nap, you would have really required like a small team of volunteers to hose you down <laughs> at the same time. Oh, I remember in uh, when I was living in New York in this. Uh, so I was part of this kind of internship scheme, and part of that was they kept us in these just subpar digs. So I was sharing a room with two other adult women in one room. And uh, because of the perennial fear of bed bugs in New York, the the um, you know how hospitals cover their chairs and furniture in waiting rooms with this very thick sort of lino yeah. plastic. That was what was covering the mattress. And so in okay. summer, with no proper uh, air conditioning, you would wake up in a pool of your own sweat, yucky. which is horrifying. Yeah, real yucky. Because you just have that. Yeah, it was not 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 good. That is a terrible memory. <laughs> yeah. You should hypnotherapy that one out if you of my, can. Yeah, of my year in New York of being pretty bloody miserable, that was one of one of the more unpleasant memories. Do you believe in hypnotherapy? Um, no. Ah. I mean, I've only done it once and, and I did it in this documentary that I did on habit change, now available okay. on Audible if you're an Audible subscriber, uh, where the guy who I was doing this documentary with was a neuroscientist and a doctor and he uses hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know, maybe you need to do more sessions. Yeah. Um, But what it felt like was him just telling me a story. Like the room was dim and he was like, you can close your eyes or not. And then he tries to relax you and then he just tells you to imagine a story where, you know, in this instance I said, oh, I'd like to write more. I'd like to write more consistently. Mm -hmm. And so he was just telling a story where I write with joy and it reminds me of when I was on the beach as a kid because he'd asked me what I had good memories of. So it's just telling you a story. So I didn't feel – I mean, I think I had maybe a wrong idea of hypnosis that you kind of go into a trance or something. Yeah, I've been hypnotised once uh, at a comedy show that I was hosting. It was partially – mandated and partially curiosity mm. and I didn't last very long I think because partly I was on a stage and you know still working yeah. uh, but if I was wealthy and hypnotherapy is effective I am 
going to change every single thing about myself (laughs) (laughs) over a period of expensive sessions. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to aspirational subconscious. (laughs) I would love to uh, stop anxiety chewing my cuticles and the inside of my lip. I don't know how to stop doing that. I've been trying for years. There's nothing you can like do, I guess, other than like, Get some sort of permanent mouth guard <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> Invisalign or one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> Always wear gloves and a mouth guard. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> like, I mean, you would stop pretty quick after that. But... Oh, and then if that worked, like you could just keep going through any personality traits that you've decided you don't like. And presumably some of those are pillars of other things. You remove those and then you slowly become a completely different person. Yeah, which is why I don't think hypnotherapy works because I haven't seen that happen to Maybe almost anyone. just haven't spent long enough. <laughs> well, this is an interesting thing when I talk to people who say that they were addicts or have had like addiction issues Mm. in the past there's and I don't know if this is the right way to look at it. it's probably incredibly insulting but my reaction is always to look and see if I can find out where the addiction went because the alternative is that they've healed the hole in their soul Mm -hmm. whatever it was that caused the addiction so you know, often you'll see people who used to be, you know, big drinkers or drug takers and they do exercise. And I go, mm-hmm. oh, cool. The moment they say, oh, I ran a triathlon, I'm like, okay, I know where that addictive tendency went. Or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's religion or sometimes it's workaholism. But it, there is something. <laughs> Workahol. <laughs> it's not a word. <laughs> yeah, I'm a workaholic. I'm addicted to workahol. <laughs> it's not real. No, I mean... I know what you mean. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's... it's uh, So I, I don't know if that... I think that's probably a bad bad way to look at it, but I, that's the way mm. I tend to just assume that people work, is that if they were obsessively using something to numb or fix something about mm. themselves or patch over something about themselves, they've either fixed the thing about themselves that needed that patch, which is a lot more work... Yeah, it's not impossible. It's though. not impossible, I, but it, my, I think my, my inclination... Not even is, uncommon, I think. Um, but yeah, it is the more difficult of the two uh, routes. Yeah, I don't know. It could just be interesting to just be able to go into yourself and... Just staple it shut. Yeah, just go, no, no more of that, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I think is why people tend towards or people who I know who have been having that kind of issue tend towards some sort of spiritual framework mm. because it it simultaneously patches the whole. It's something to put your attention and energy into, but also it promises to heal the whole at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is the business model. <laughs> <laughs> For spiritual frameworks. Yeah. 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 What have you been uh, wrestling with of late other Uh, than jet lag? Yeah, a little bit of jet lag. I just came back. uh, I was here in London most of last year and then went to New Zealand for a month and Perth for two months uh, to get some work done and uh, just sort of a bit of recuperation time. I hadn't had a proper break for like a Maybe 24, 26 months even, I think, since I had, like, not something breathing down my neck. And I realized at the end of last year that I I suddenly didn't have anything (laughs) urgent (laughs) happening. And, yeah, I wanted to give myself a uh, a bit of time. I think my mental health hasn't been great, so it was nice to sort of... Uh, still have work where you are and structure and everything like that, but, you know, not be on a double-decker bus in King's Cross. It's <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the best place to be wrestling with that sort of a thing. I mean, um, what does that look like for you? Uh, for me, it's it's a weird sort of... Uh, uh, sort of shape-shifting anxiety... Uh, depression sort of a a thing 
but it's me leaving the house feeling normal and fine and then realising I've forgotten my umbrella and then telling myself that I'm a stupid worthless whore who needs to die and there's no room in the world for somebody like me uh, because I've forgotten my umbrella and if I can do that, then what's the point of what <laughs> trying else to do it? Yeah, exactly. What sort of <laughs> grievous negligence in my life oh. am I capable of? And why don't you step out into traffic right now because that would uh, be a lot easier than... <laughs> Trying to become the type of person who doesn't forget their <laughs> umbrella. I mean, I can see why you would put want trigger warnings on this hip, yeah, podcast. Well, uh, I can see why uh, then you would there would be an appeal to hypnotherapy. <laughs> yes. uh, how do you solve that, or if you can, uh, you try and uh, catch it when it is happening and then notice that it's happening. It's such a long string. You're, you're essentially just pulling yourself further and further down one long string of negative thought and uh, the trick is you know if you find yourself you know five points along to go ah let's try not to go to 10 let's stop at five and yeah it just takes a lot of awareness but I think a lot of that was coming from sort of uh, physical things um, and massive stresses and changes and things so um yeah, I don't know where. It, it didn't feel like it was something that had happened because anything had uh, – there was any reason mm. for it except for, of course, all of the reasons <laughs> that it would. <laughs> yeah, well – go, oh, it's been a very stressful year, so there's nothing terrible happening today, but I'm still struggling to go to the supermarket yeah. because there's not much – left to fight those thoughts with I guess I feel that's a that's a really interesting and kind of under considered thing Mm. of you when you're in the midst of really stressful things I think you know PTSD kind of has that covered but when you're in the midst of really stressful things often you feel fine Mm. or you feel okay or all of your attention is going to managing those things Mm. and then there's a debt there's yeah. like there's a bank account. There's a, you're in the red for a while. Yeah, I I also I could sense myself because it got weirdly it got worse before it got better once I went home, and what I think it was um, is partially an overhang and habit of like going through quite a stressful year, and then so every morning I'm like, all right, gotta deal with this stressful thing and fix it and get to the next bit where it's just got to get to the bit where it's not stressful. And then I was in the bit where I was not living a stressful existence for a few months, but I was still waking up every morning with that same, like that, you know, that same gland is still pumping out whatever it is going. All right. But then you just put way too much anxiety and that's the same sort of level of focus into just, you know, going to get a piece of cake by the park and you're like all right we gotta go and get the cake else the whole day everything's gonna fall apart in your life and the other thing which i think is more dangerous was i feel like i was so burnt out after the last two years that it was taking that amount of stress for me to face down small tasks Uh so being yeah, sort of so burnt out that the thought of going to get a piece of cake by the park actually just feels like insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Like you have to work yourself up to a yeah. pitch to even be able to do a yeah. normal thing. Exactly that sort of get, you know, and that's when it's sort of which is where the kind of anxiety meets the depression because the depression is the bit where you're like, oh, going you to get a piece of cake is an insurmountable task, and then the anxiety is the spur yes. you need to kind of come on. So it's kind if of you a, don't get this cake. People are going to die. Yeah, a hopscotching over one issue yeah. with the other. So, it, yeah, it sort of got worse because I'd come out of sort of the habit of feeling stressed every morning and pass that on to, you know, a, a bushwalk. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I'd gotten a bit more rest and, yeah, it's been better uh, lately, but it's still something that I'm sort of keeping tabs on on a daily basis. And it's, yeah, I haven't had to focus on stuff like this for 
fair while now. So it's sort of an interesting thing to go back to the last time that I was in this space. I would have been like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a full decade later, you sort of start going back over old techniques and to try to remember how... How you dealt with it last time yeah, and, and whether go, those things will still work. Yeah, and, you know, different yeah, different things um, that you need to do because you're older and you know different stuff. And, yeah, it's been an interesting thing. Um, being in communicado with an online email therapist and that's something that at the moment feels in entirely unnecessary and performative and very very strange to just be emailing a man who is now presumably legally responsible for me in some way (laughs) and so he keeps checking in and he's like well how have you been going this week and and I don't really want to tell this email man but I don't want him to feel like he's bad at his job so then I just tell him all the stuff (laughs) But I do sometimes get a sense that maybe I'm meant to be telling him less stuff or more stuff and I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, the how much. I think that's been one of – I only really ever went to a counsellor – well, I've been to counsellors twice. One was when I was at the law firm and having a really bad time and mm. I used their employee assistance program. Which are excellent. And uh, I I made a joke about it in a show I wrote about it, which was that I told her that I was feeling overwhelmed, that I woke up every morning thinking if this is what life is, I don't want to live anymore and definitely putting a trigger warning on this show uh, and that, you know, I felt like there was so people kept telling me people would kill for this job and I'd be like, can they kill me? (laughs) And even when I did it well, I didn't feel satisfied or fulfilled or nourished by it. I just felt sadder and sadder and sadder. And then when I wasn't doing it well, I felt incredibly anxious and Um, I just felt overwhelmed. And she said, uh, if you feel overwhelmed, you should try making more checklists. Yeah, get a real spreadsheet for that uh, anxiety disorder. Yeah. So, you know. You're just not doing your anxiety right. Yeah. And then the other one was when my mum was dying and I spoke to this counsellor about it basically up until until my mum was diagnosed as terminal. And then I was like, well, I don't need you anymore because the thing Mm. that was making me anxious was this terrible uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And But with that lady, yeah, I felt like there was some part of me that wanted to be like, I'm fine, I'm really well, I'm okay. Because you're in that habit in in the world Mm. day to day of not telling everyone your problems and, and having people think well of you and trying to frame it up so that, they are sympathetic to you you want you know you know what I mean you want them to think well of you and and any kind of issue or problem that you have you want them to understand what where that's coming from and that it's a totally reasonable response to the situation and actually that you're not crazy and you know of of course I mean this is the thing you're going to them because you are crazy you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the, I, I felt yeah m- mine was always turning up and going cool so these are the problems I'm feeling real sad and worried about things and I know I don't need to feel this way and I'm pretty sure I feel this way because of these reasons and then them going yep that all checks out <laughs> and then me going well I guess what I have to do is this <laughs> and they go Correct. That's what I would advise. And then I say, all right, here's all your money. And they say, thank you. <laughs> and it really... Yeah, and you sort of feel like, well, what am I paying for? Well, I understand that what I'm paying for is to be able to talk through with them. But what I'm, I guess what I'm paying for is to just make sure that I'm not like, cool, so what I have to do is bury my feet in a river uh, at the solstice, yeah, and then go, no, don't do that. Like, yeah. I'm trying to check well, that I'm not deviating in any way to the left or right of it. I think, I, I think for me the mental trick was thinking, I think I thought for a while that they had to be smarter than me or more insightful than me or better than me in some way to 
tell me what I had No, nah, it probably wrong. helps if they're dumber because then you just explain it to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people learn by teaching. But that if I could trick them, then they're not a good counsellor. You know what mm. I mean? I think that was my... I mean, certainly when I was younger, I think that was the feeling I had. And I think it was a, obviously the wrong... You know, that I, if I can yeah. trick them into thinking I'm fine, then... I've won or, what, you know, like there's something in <laughs> my no, head. you're sick. That's... You should go see someone you're sick. <laughs> so I think that was the wrong idea I had about it. Mm. Whereas they don't, they just need to be good at their job to have thought of something that you wouldn't think yeah. of. Yeah, or be able to point out the thing that you are clearly hiding from yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Psychologically. Well, the, the one I went to about grief, it was kind of her area of academic interest as well. Mm-hmm. So I did feel a little bit like I was just giving her research. You should get research. a discount. <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, there's something else I wanted to talk about you with was uh, I've been thinking lately about how the things that I was not scared of when I was younger, like a kid or a teenager – are things I've that been would get of teenagers that would terrify me now, mm. but the things that I was terrified of and worried about when I was a kid would never bother me. But the things that I wasn't like, I remember being fourteen, mm-hmm. and I went for a really, really long solo swim down this long winding river, and I didn't tell anybody where I was going. Or uh, take anything with me. I just like got in the river and went for a really long swim. Yeah. And it's it's one of my happiest childhood memories still. But at the same time, at 31, I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you drown. An eel strangles you and they never find your body. <laughs> you sink in the mud. Uh, you hit your head. You have some sort of aneurysm and drown. A man gets you a uh, uh, and a big animal comes and takes you or you get bitten by a snake or something yeah, like that. You end that, up too far down the river you and you get, can't get out. There's yes. toxic waste somewhere <laughs> and you get some horrible disease that eats your flesh. Yeah. Terrible things. You get uh, sucked into a waterfall and then you get bacterial meningitis from <laughs> the, the dirty river water. Like I would never, ever go swimming for a long time in a river without telling anyone where I went. Now, mm. but when I was 13, the things that scared me a lot was like being embarrassed on a bus, <laughs> which <laughs> I can knock out in an afternoon. <laughs> like, These are the things you do for fun now. <laughs> yeah, there are so many things that all chalk up. The, yeah, all those things of like being 21 and... You know, taking all sorts of risks because you genuinely didn't know the worst that could happen. Yeah. But what you could imagine as the worst that could happen only seemed to apply to situations where it couldn't. Yeah. Like, oh, but what if you ever got into a fight with your friend? That would be impossible to ever come out of. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that that was a real one for me because I was brought up in a house without a lot of overt conflict. All of the all of the hardships in my family were always kind of around my mum's illness. Mm. I did not, I didn't know you could have an argument with a friend and still be friends afterwards. Yes, until I was in my twenties. Really, are you going to have heaps of arguments? It's great. Some friendships are built, and that's all that people ever do. But. Mm. I think that, yeah, I th- uh, whereas, yeah, now certainly the idea of people not liking me oh yeah, was so hurtful when I was younger and now I'm like, no, no, I deliberately do things in my life and job that mean that there are definitely people who won't like yeah, me. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, nice to narrow it down, really. <laughs> Even people that I like, you know, yeah. like or would sort of prefer to have their goodwill, I'm willing to alienate. <laughs> Yeah, it, but it, in that context, it sort of makes me very suspicious of the things that I am very worried about now that I won't care about when I am 50, say, compared with the things that will, I'm doing now, which will then seem fucking ridiculous. 
So what what do you think you'll be afraid of when you're 50? Obviously there'll be some that come out of the woodwork and surprise back, you. Back pain. Back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can already feel it. I move my heavy suitcase around on the tube a lot and I imagine it's probably doing the damage that I... That you will regret will in your regret, 50s. So I'm trying to be careful with that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I would like to have some children. That seems... That seems like a big scary task and I know that it is. But perhaps by the time they've left home, I won't... Uh, I would be so worried about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. See, I don't know. I just had to put a finger on it now. My grandmother, my mum's mum, who had five children, said, once you have children, you never sleep the same way again, which mm. when I was a young person terrified me. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, that seems reasonable. Yeah, that's fine. That makes I sense. i stuff to do anyway. <laughs> My sleep habits have changed in my lifetime. Mm. I'm willing to take that as a... Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Probably need a good psychologist to help you <laughs> work them out. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, that is an interesting thing. So what what fears do you have now that you think have a timestamp on them? Mm. That you think you can... Hopefully all the current irrational ones like going to the shops or making phone calls. I'd like to be out of those woods in the next few months. What's <laughs> the been... phone calls one? Oh, I've always had it uh, with anxiety like... Mm, a, a lot of my anxiety I think... I, I don't like to feel like I'm bothering people. Mm. And I, f and it comes from I, I guess maybe holding yourself in quite poor regard or or something. But so it, it always felt like I couldn't call somebody because they would be so angry at me for just existing suddenly in their world. So you know, even calling services where their job is to answer calls from people exactly like you, be like, yes, but. Oh, it must be. But then so much of that comes out of its own egotism that the, you matter at all to anybody, <laughs> which is, you know, something that protects you psychologically from feeling the entire weight of your own worthlessness. See, I understand that to in that when I was in my 20s particularly, I was very drawn to disagreeable people, not mean people, ni mm. nice people, but who if they were not enjoying themselves, I had a friend called Lauren who was fantastic at this, and I just remember being in awe of it, of you'd be somewhere and she'd go, I'm not enjoying this anymore, I'm going. Yeah. And for me that was so reassuring because it meant that if she was spending time with me, yeah, then she wanted to. Just yeah. because I think maybe I thought everyone else might be being disingenuous. or <laughs> and, and that was entirely karma from my perspective. Where, you know, it, that was the consequence of my own unwillingness when I was uncomfortable to say that I was uncomfortable. That's like the classic yes. thing of if you're mean about everyone, then you start to worry what they're saying about you. It was exactly, yes. not that I was, but that it was exactly that that thing of, of I'm in all these situations with these people when I'm not enjoying myself and I make a good show of it, but maybe they're also all feeling that way. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that does happen and they are terrible parties. Yeah. But yeah, where everyone is just having a horrible time oh, pretending to have I've a good time. I've been to heaps of those. I'm like, I don't want to be here. And I'm pretty sure nobody else does as well. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Enjoy your networking. Yeah. But that was a real project for me of trying to say when I was enjoying things and when I wasn't enjoying things and have those the my face and demeanor be different on... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> to express when I was enjoying myself so that there was a distinction from when I wasn't enjoying myself. I definitely do a lot less stuff that I don't like now. Mm. And, uh, you know, it comes from, uh, yeah, pro running out of time and having less time, I guess, in a, a lot of ways and just sort of going, oh, no, I don't. I don't like doing this at all. <laughs> I had so much, like, for me, the thing that I love... Uh, it's probably my favourite 
your favourite part? Uh, I like being home. I like having had my dinner at about 7, 8 p.m. with mm-hmm. a snack ready to go when I want it. Like dinner's done, but there is like a Danish or something. There's like a there's a midnight Danish waiting. Uh, and I can put some headphones on and I can write my scripts or I can write a show or write whatever my job is to write. And, oh man, I will have a nice time. And it took me a while to realise and prioritise that any time people were asking me to go and do, you know, an unpaid five-minute spot at a charity gig in uh, Birmingham or (laughs) something like that, that that was definitely not time that I got to spend in my happiest place. But I never made that connection, even though it seems so stupid to not see it. Uh, Even up to a couple of years ago, I'd be like, well, I'm supposed to want to go out and do stuff i'm i'm you know who wants to stay home and work all night i do i love it yeah i can't help that i love it i don't want to help that i love it because it means that i get to do do the thing that i like for a job see why do i have to go to your friend's sister's birthday party at a bloody plaster paint it yourself cup thing (laughs) where we all drink mulled wine and paint a cup yeah that's i i drink mulled wine and paint a cup when on my own time well that's way down the list of things yeah and you know obviously you do it when it means stuff to other people that you care about and stuff but i used to just say yes to everything oh well, just out of a sense of obligation and yeah I'm really grateful to have I don't think I ever fully realized the total binary of time until recently the idea that if you are doing something it is other things that you are not doing I always had that sense with work and things but but not like Life. Yeah, like the screen time monitor on the iPhone where it'll tell me that I've had like six hours on my phone or something in the day. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't want that. And that is definitely time that I could have done something else in. And then, yeah, that applies to everything. I mean, that's that's a super useful way to think of about life i think yeah it's also probably contributing to much of my anxiety (laughs) see i've always i've always um found it uh, i i've always envied your ability to work at home i kind of have to go out of the house to work otherwise Mm. i go kind of stir crazy um but thinking about the things that other people don't like doing that I do has been quite a useful way to think about how to spend my time. Mm. Like I, I like writing. I also like can totally do a corporate gig and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas I th- there are a lot of people who loathe corporates. They see them as the worst possible thing to do because there's a bunch of people who don't really want to be there and so on and so forth and they do them for the money and yeah. whatever. Whereas I always, I've never had trouble with that. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about the things that you you can do with pleasure mm-hmm. rather than the things you kind of have to force yourself to do, which for me was always like club gigs in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, they're no fun. Um, where you just, you know, there was one where I just, I drove with a car full of comedians who were all boys and it was fine and it was fun and we got there and then they gave us our accommodation, which was one room to share mm. and just just realising that mm. that they didn't – they'd never th- – they'd never contemplated having a woman at that gig. Mm. 
and kind of having to negotiate. So you can sleep in the car, presumably. Yeah, well, I I did, uh, but no, I think someone had a couch. Some other person, the the booker and his wife, had a couch in their house. Yeah, nice second location. Yeah, but that just the having to negotiate all those things. Yes, was not fun no then no no it's not fun at all and then you you know that there are people who love those road trip gigs they just love them they love spending six hours in a car with their friends talking about the industry and other comedians and gigs that they did well at or gigs that they failed that's their favorite thing to do in the whole mm. world and they should do those gigs yeah it's an enormous i just want to read my book in the car you know like <laughs> Yeah, it's an enormous amount of uh, white privilege to say this, but I've always assumed that I would be okay in prison. And <laughs> and I think that gives... When people don't know where I get my particular swagger from, I think that's what they don't realise is that if I went to jail, I might like it. <laughs> So, yeah, the what's the worst case scenario? That's also a good way to think of what's the worst that can happen. You know, my no one's going to die, we're all going to die yeah. thing. What's the worst that can happen in this situation? I and don't am even I okay like with reading it? that much? Yeah. I'll stare at a wall for <laughs> ages. My dad was young when the Vietnam War was happening and the draft was happening, mm. and he was sort of coming up to the age where it would be available to him, and he was sure that he was going to be a conscientious objector because uh, he was a you know hippie mm. pacifist, all of that stuff, and that he would go to jail and write you know groundbreaking poetry. He was mm. okay with that idea it actually i mean i'm gonna make my next point in a minute but my granny had her friend who was a fellow holocaust survivor and a doctor she had she told my father this later she had uh, arranged if my dad's number got drawn on the draft to have him put under and have his legs broken so he couldn't go to war (laughs) that's my granny she was completely wild lady but uh yeah for me yeah i'd chop off a leg rather than go to war yeah depending on the war of course but that she just thought that was a totally reasonable thing to do my dad was like no no no, i'll, I'll go to jail and write poetry for me it was when i had uh, i was uh, rowing i had a rowing accident when i was young at school i got hit by a boat with another boat and ended up having some bad things in my back uh sort of ruptured disc fractured mm. bone thing uh and i just thought oh i'll be an invalid <laughs> you're author. going the full frida carlo <laughs> yeah 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 i just thought i'll be an invalid author that's what i'll do i'll be fine with it i've been reading some rosemary sutcliffe books and that's yeah they should be confiscated for teenage girls it's too risky and what katie did like the, that kind of book at that <laughs> oh, time no. and uh just thought oh yeah that's fine just thinking thinking through the worst case scenario on one hand like going back to what you were saying before can be this crippling anxiety thing but sometimes it can be quite oh, reassuring man. young alice fraser rowing around reading what <laughs> Katie did. <laughs> I was a massive nerd. <laughs> that set me up to fail. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think... It Don't did read those de- books in a boat. No, never. I, I mean, I wasn't reading the book in the boat, <laughs> but uh, it shaped... It's weird. I, I think I was allowed to read anything when I was a kid. Mm. And in some ways that has been the making of me. And certainly I read books rather than doing schoolwork. Um and read many inappropriate books as well. But then they, they, you just get these weird lessons in your head. Like I don't wear high heels because mm. I read this this bizarre sort of um, 18th or 19th century novel, propaganda novel about health where this – I can't even remember what it was called, but this girl who was like a fashionable young uh, city girl went to her uncle in the country and he, you know – dressed her up in like pajamas or pantaloons so she could run away from a dog and then he put her in the fashionable clothes and she couldn't run away from a dog so in my head i don't wear heels because i want to be able to run away for from a dog yeah i mean that's one reason Uh. but i just that's my thing or if i'm wearing heels they have to be heels i could run away from a dog in yeah 
but that just went into my head at one point and it's never gone away. Those special dog repellent heels that they make. <laughs> so I'm like, what have I what what other things have I have just seeped into my head from all of those terrible dragon novels and things? My reading and media intake as a kid was very heavily censored by my mother. But whilst I think there was some stuff that I should have had access to that was like any sort of like normal book on sex ed or something like that probably would have been useful. Yeah. Uh, But the thing that my mum really protected me from was uh, really poor narratives for women. So I wasn't like I wasn't allowed to watch Grease, mm-hmm. and I was so upset about that as like a fourteen-year-old who desperately wanted to watch Grease because it's such a fun move with lots of songs. But Mum was like, "Absolutely, you're not watching Grease. It sends a terrible message." Yeah, what would have been more useful was probably to watch Grease with, with a her notebook and talk about it or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until. I was old enough to watch Grease by myself and then watched it and went, oh, yeah, no, that's... This sends a <laughs> terrible the, message. The formative years of that had been, you know, sheltered a little bit. So this was a really... We should wind up soon, but mm. I, I, this was a really interesting article I read the other day and I can't remember. I think Jonathan Haidt might have written it, but I don't want to misattribute it to him. I, I think it made a really good point um, was this idea that's kind of prevalent at the moment of of eh, censorship more or less of books that are like problematic historical texts that are, that are no longer the values we hold now huckleberry finn being the kind of perfect yeah. example that he was saying his students react to that book he's a professor uh, that kind of book by saying, I don't want that book in my home. I don't want those messages in my home. I don't want to bring that into the now. And the idea that reading or accessing these problematic ideas brings them into the now, which I think it's sort of, it, it does it in a small way, but he was saying the more useful way to think about it, and this was what was really appealing to me, was to think of yourself as a time traveller. Yes. You're going back into that book with your current perspective and you can look around and go, yeah. well, obviously this whole slavery thing is not, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just the way that, that he put that, it was one of those great ideas of framing something that's always troubled me about why people reject yeah. historically problematic texts. I, I'm always like, no, you should read them, but I couldn't, I, th- I thought that was a good way to articulate why or how they can be useful and why you don't need to, uh, bodlerize them or censor them or cut out the problematic bits or protect people from them is you can go well you you go into this you know you've got your you know radiation shield on <laughs> you know what I mean you, like you you equip yourself with your armor yeah. against these problems and then you go in and you you go into the text and you you can engage with those ideas without yes. being polluted by them Yes. And of course there will be some people who are polluted by them. Yeah. But I think it's sort of worth the risk. Yeah. If you've if given they... them a wide enough education that they can Yeah. Deal with that. Yeah, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean you don't want to be reading Mein Kampf as a bedtime story, but No. No. That was the thing that was that that idea really struck me and I thought it was a useful one. I think so too. So uh, where can people find you online? Oh, they what are you doing? Um, well, they can go to my, my Twitter at Laura Davis Comic. It's the same on Instagram. Uh, my website has links um, where you can buy my album. Uh, I recorded a show, Cake in the Rain. It did uh, very well and you can buy it for, I think, something like... I think it's like £3 or something like that. That's ridiculous. Off of... Um, that is incredibly good value. Yeah, it's very cheap because it's still in Australian dollars on the w- website. So f- it's We need to change that. It's very few pounds. And uh, look, I'm quite busy uh, these next couple of weeks. I'm probably not going to have time to go put the price up. So d- mm-hmm. consider this your discount bargain uh, if you can get to the album before I go and change the currency. <laughs> uh, then you can have the album for a, for a steal. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Okay, for, brilliant. For the gigs. Uh, thank you so much for having tea with me. Yeah, thank you for having me.